Mars Podcast, episode 99. I am Andrew Ford. And I'm Brendan Chombley. And I'm Trevor Williams. Oh, an andy episode for the first time in quite a while. Yep. Mm-hmm. Down to the three of the us. <laughs> Do we have a name? Does our crew have a name? It's a good question. Are we the dry crew? We're the dry. Yeah, we're like the, we're like the less goofs crew. Mm. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best as always. No jokes allowed. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll try to up the goofs level as I get through two beers or so. We take the podcast very seriously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you did reach two beers last time, and it was—I think it was a good choice. So. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be my—that'll be my baseline from here on out. Mm, maybe I should have started pre-gaming for this as well. Um, I've got uh, a little bit of like a follow-up mini sequel to a thing we talked about a long time ago. You guys remember ASMR? Yes. <laughs> I have been kind of listening to it again more more so frequently than I have in a, in a while. Uh, any listeners out there that don't remember or didn't hear, like don't know what ASMR is, in short, it's it's like a kind of like a tingly, relaxing sensation some people get when certain like quote unquote triggers happen, like uh, uh, certain like sounds, like you know f- wood tapping or like crack, crinkly plastic or. Uh, whispers like some people get, get get that feeling from those and the acronym stands for autonomous sensory meridian response which i yeah. had to look up just now <laughs> <laughs> and yeah if you want to listen to more about it, it's the episode uh number was it our seventh episode the doritos remain innocent <laughs> the title is definitely the doritos remain innocent i think it was episode seven sounds right to me good old classic radmars yes <laughs> vintage vintage mm. yeah from about two years ago now uh no i just um I remember back then I was sort of introducing it and kind of showing how popular it was. And I've noticed that some of my favorite ASMR artists don't get as many views as they used to, which kind of makes me sad. You know, they used to get like millions and now they get like a couple hundred K, you know, because it's just sort of the the lifespan of a, of a YouTube artist of, of, of any kind. But I did want to ask you guys, um, <laughs> I, I did this last time, but I found the most popular the, with the with the most views ASMR video on YouTube currently. Uh, I need you guys to guess what it, its theme is, like what its sort of deal is, and how many views it has, because this is wild. <laughs> I'm gonna go for the comedy option of it's Fortnite themed and it has a billion views. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go for the conservative uh, guess of some sort of foil being rolled against somebody's skin with 10 million views. Ooh, oh my gosh. Yeah, you guys, between the two of you, you're-, you're <laughs> Fortnite foil, 100 million views. We got it. We did it. It's, um, it's a video of a girl eating a lot of candy. That's the theme. Okay. So that's starting to make me wonder. Remember how I'm always saying, I can't stress this enough. It's not sexual. Guys, I think it went sexual. <laughs> <laughs> She's not doing it sexually. She's just eating, right? But, you know, 
you know how it is. Sounds like it appeals to multiple um, interests, I guess, is the way I would put <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> that appeals to many people in many places. Um, <laughs> the number of views that it has is 364 million views. Damn. Wow. It's freaking freaking crazy for someone who just sat in front of a camera. Oh my God, it's only 10 minutes long too. That's, this is, this is crazy. <laughs> She's eating a lot of different rainbow colored candies and that's about it. I have not actually so watched it. So is it just like the noise of her like smacking her lips or something or? I'm sure there's, I mean, I, like I said, maybe I should have for research gone and spent 10 minutes of my life watching this before I came on. But uh, I mean, I can only imagine it's got mouth sounds of many kinds and that's that's the trigger for some people i suppose i feel like mouth sounds are some of the least relaxing sounds in the world i absolutely agree with you (laughs) like they actually so um the stuff that i like to listen to like uh is like you know crinkly plastic like i said and like uh like certain types of scratching and like wood tapping on other pieces of wood and stuff like that and it really turns me off sometimes turns me off jesus christ uh, (laughs) it's not sexual for me i swear um it takes me out of it it distracts me it's unpleasant when the microphone picks up their they're just sort of like natural normal random mouth sounds you know if they just open their mouth a little and you just hear that like because the mic the mic picks up everything so just Mm -hmm. those little bits little little normal noises get amplified and always (laughs) takes me out so I'm the anti-mouth mouth sounds guy for ASMR. Oh, man. I wanted to point out this one one nerdy thing that, uh, again, full disclosure, I work for an audio software company that makes a bunch of like audio repair stuff. Um, our audio repair software has a mouth declick module. Um, and like a lot of other modules, it has an invert option where you can only play the noise. <laughs> it sounds like the most disturbing alien shit when you do it with the mouth declick. It's so bad. Can you please insert a clip of that into this podcast of our conversation just for a few seconds? I will. Whatever the last thing you said was, it will be this. Thank God. No. In advance to our audience, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. That was terrible. (laughs) I'm assuming that was terrible. I don't know what it sounded like. You'll find out. <laughs> yeah, actually, the other thing I was, I was thinking about for the ASMR stuff real quick, wasn't there something with YouTube like tightening their like terms of service around this stuff because of like the borderline sexual stuff? There's like, I was hearing these rumblings of people writing about getting banned for it, even like allegedly safe ASMR stuff even. I can imagine it. I remember seeing kind of a takedown video of an ASMR video of like, a underage girl doing an ASMR video, but doing it in that kind of like sexually charged way. And I can only imagine the creepos that that would flock to that kind of shit. So I'm not surprised. Definitely not surprised. But I don't know if that was the situation that you're referring to. I I, I don't really keep up on the ASMR news. I just sort of like <laughs> pop open the like 10 hour long video of crinkle noises and then forget about it. You know, <laughs> Just sort of leave that playing in the background while you do work. Dude, it, it hyper-focuses me sometimes for work. I cannot yeah. believe it okay. sometimes. Yeah. Huh. Maybe I'll have to give it a try sometime. Yes, especially if I'm doing something really tedious. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, you know, we weren't here to talk about ASMR. <laughs> I want to talk today about, I mean, unless you really want to go ASMR to crinkly boogaloo. <laughs> well, maybe there's some way to merge it with the main topic <laughs> after we've introduced it. You know what? You know what really triggers my ASMR? A lightsaber sounds. <laughs> And Jabba the Hutt's deep 
luscious voice. <laughs> deep, just... deep, sexy voice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, who, who knows? Have you ever closed your eyes and just listened to his voice? Maybe he has a really sexy voice. I haven't really thought about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, Star Wars in general, it's like a, such a cornerstone of nerddom and we're a nerdy podcast and we haven't really dedicated a lot of episode time talking about Star Wars. I think we talked about it as like part of a topic, but like, I think it deserves to be its own topic. So let's do it. Absolutely. I can, uh, I can start in the sense that we're in this time that Star Wars is in a weird place. You know, I, I forget how long ago it was. How long ago was it bought by Disney? Was it 10 years yet? Has it been Somewhere 10 years? around 10 years, I think. Wow. It's crazy to think about. Right. Yeah. It's, it feels like it was more recent than that to me. It definitely feels like two years ago or something, but they've come out with what, five movies and four or five TV shows by now of varying quality. And, um, yeah, this, the, the idea of bringing up Star Wars was, was partially due to this part due to a, like a, a YouTube video I watched just like kind of tackling a similar thing, which is like, what is sort of the essence of this like franchise now that it doesn't belong to like a single vision holder. And even though we kind of disagree sometimes about how good that vision holder did it, George Lucas, you know, for, for part of Star Wars, it still definitely changed itself quite a lot after being coming a Disney thing. And like, you know, is it, is it, is it, a, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it just a whatever thing? And they just need to kind of figure out what to do with it. Um, I don't know, but like as someone who, I mean, I basically grew up on this, like it was probably one of the first things I ever watched and like, and by that, I mean, like I watched it when I could barely make memories, you know, my dad was a huge Star Wars fan. And mm. so I had for a long time, and I mean, for that, like, I guess like a four year period of time, but that, as a kid, that's forever where Star Wars was sort of this like vague memory that I knew was like a thing, but it wasn't until, so it wasn't until I was like eight years old. You know, if I, I must've watched it when I was like three or four years old first. And then I, and then I found our, our VHS tapes of it and watched it as like an eight year old and it blew my mind in like two ways. The first way was just how cool Star Wars was for a kid, uh, especially, you know, growing up in the nineties and, and back then, you know, there were not as many crazy flashy movies as there are now. But the second thing was, yeah, there was this weird, crazy nostalgia thing going on, like in my young, young ass brain that was like remembering bits and pieces of it from that first time when I watched it before I could really make real memories. So mm -hmm. it's sort of like this deeply ingrained experience that like blossomed and then I became obsessed with Star Wars for like years and years. I remember one point where like, I was like, just speaking out loud, basically in the house and being like, man, I love Star Wars so much. Star Wars is my life. And then my mom was like, no, it's not. Don't say that. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Dial it back. I take it your mother was not a huge Star Wars fan. Yeah, she was like, whatever about it. Definitely, definitely I take it after my dad in terms of the interest areas, like the nerdy interest areas. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. What was your guys's? I don't know if you have a similar like relationship to Star Wars as I do. Yeah, for me, I think uh I think funnily enough, I think Roushi and I he hadn't seen it before, but I think we watched it together when we were probably, I don't know, eleven or twelve. I think my dad bought like this was when this I think this was like right when the special edition came out um of the original trilogy, which had been like late nineties. I think my dad bought it on Laserdisc. If you remember oh, wow. Laserdisc. Uh yeah. And I, I think I enjoyed it at the time. I think I wasn't I don't think it had a huge impact on me, but I remember playing a lot of the games. I think the games were like a huge part of the culture that like, like the SNES games. No, no, no. The more like the PC games. Um, oh like, yeah. Mm. X-Wing and TIE Fighter. X-Wing yeah. versus TIE Fighter. Um, mm -hmm. No, Nice of the Old Republic, uh, Rogue Squadron, like all that stuff. Uh, Dark Forces, Jedi Knight. Like there were so many great Star Wars games. 
around that period that uh i don't know it's kind of i feel like star wars games have like fallen off a little bit aside from uh that that dark fallen order yeah. yeah i mean hopefully there's a renaissance of that because it's great wasn't that also mostly done by a single game studio or was it a bunch of them that were licensing Star Wars at the time? That's a really good question. LucasArts? Or, eh. Yeah, right? LucasArts. Yeah, LucasArts did some of them. Would make sense. Yeah, I think there was a fair amount of different companies. Yeah, like Bioware did KOTOR, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. So yeah, they were actually very good at managing their intellectual property when it comes to licensing it for computer games. They were actually really good at it even outside of that, I mean, before the Disney era, you have this whole expanded universe of novels that extend, expanded the story past the movies, and we can talk all about that if you want to. <laughs> Probably worthwhile. I'll give my sort of childhood experience with Star Wars as well. Like, So I'm a little bit older than uh, the rest of you, um, and I know that I was sort of exposed to Star Wars before I was really sort of like a conscious memory-forming being. And so it's like, from my perspective, there always was Star Wars. I just didn't understand <laughs> it or really have a coherent, you know, understanding of it. I mean, it did happen um, a long time ago. In a galaxy <laughs> far, yeah, far exactly. away. Um, yeah. So like, it's one of those things where like, there was no moment where I'm like, oh God, you know, Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. I didn't see that coming. Like, that's just one of those things you knew. Um, oh shit. No, I was legitimately, I got to legitimately experience that. Uh-huh. Like- as a surprise, as an eight-year-old. Ah. Uh, that was pretty awesome. Not to mention, as an eight-year-old, watching Luke get his hand chopped off was also pretty crazy. That was a moment, man. That was very, yeah. me sitting, just sitting in the living room by myself being like, whoa, ho, ho, what? <laughs> mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah. And so I know that my father was a fan of the series, and I had some sort of like extended relatives that were fans of it as well. Um, but I think that like Star Wars didn't, make as much of an impression on me as a kid as like star trek did or whatnot but that being said you like, get out out of I'm this sorry. podcast Cannot i'm sorry you. that being said star wars did make a significant impression in me in terms of like i saw the movies and you know i enjoyed them but the video games were something that was more of a presence to me um and like i did play the super nintendo games and had a very good time with them and a lot of the computer games and whatnot um, but also like some of the derivatives of Star Wars, like I remember seeing a like copy, like a bootleg copy of Spaceballs that ended <laughs> like 10 or 20 minutes before the movie actually ended. So I never knew how it actually finished until many years later. <laughs> really important to get that full movie's <laughs> ending to, to understand the majesty and the genius so Spaceballs, like for me, the movie ended after like the throwaway shot in the like space bar where like a chest burster came out of a guy's uh, chest <laughs> and started singing, hello, my honey, hello, my blah, blah, hello, my ragtile doll. That was the end of the movie for me. And I have no idea what happened afterward. <laughs> it sounds like the perfect way to end the movie, honestly. It's very natural. Yeah. Roll credits right there. Just yeah. let the let the song continue into the credits, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> But you won't have enough context for watching Spaceballs 2, The Search for More Money. <laughs> so very true. Is that a real thing? That was the no, joke but they, they made, made it in the movie. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they were also very good in the movie about uh, telling about, you know, they were like, oh, yeah, the actual money made in merchandising. Yeah. <laughs> Spaceballs flamethrower. That's where the money is. <laughs> that is that is actually com- extremely accurate to how Star Wars like how George Lucas actually made his money. Yes. He like secured whatever mer- some percentage of the merchandising. I think it was like a hundred percent of it. Actually, it was a hundred percent of it. Oh, it was shit. like carte blanche for the merchandising. And then he merchandised the shit out of it and made a killing. 
And as a kid, I'm by whatever the consumer version of that verb is <laughs> merchandised. I consume the merchandise. <laughs> uh, I was very particular. I, I was extremely invested in the Micro Machines Star Wars line of toys. So there was the Micro Machines line, and then there was, like, the Kenner line. And so the Kenner line had, like, the taller sort of G.I. Joe-sized human figures and then, like, ships that would fit them. And then there were the Micro Machines that, of course, were micro. I had a, f- I have. I still, my mom has kept a giant box full of all these old toys. I have a ton of those old-ass toys. Um, I have a little brother who really loves Star Wars, and he inherited them and got to play with them as he grew up. Good shit. Merchandise. It really makes me wonder what the experience is for people that are growing up right now of Star Wars when there's three trilogies that exist now, whereas, you know, when we were growing up, a single trilogy that was sort of like universally well-regarded existed. Yeah. I was so hungry for more too, right? I, like, I, I thought that Star Wars was the semi-obscure thing, which it kind of was, I guess, because nerd culture isn't as mainstream. It wasn't as mainstream back then as it is now anyways. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the special edition came out and the prequels came out and then it kind of exploded. But Yeah. It's everything that came after the sequel trilogy is like contentious in a way, or maybe it's not. If you grew up after the prequels came out, do you love the prequels? Is that is that a normal thing? I it kind of feels like there was this rehabilitation of the prequels, and I couldn't tell yeah. whether they were being ironic or not. <laughs> <'Cause> like, <laughs> I, I like yeah, like when they came out, I was like in high school, yeah, and I watched them, and that's kind of like prime time to like like cool Star Wars stuff. And I watched them, was like they were all right, I guess. It's like they're kind of boring. There's kind of some cool Darth Vader stuff, but. You know, there's it's, you can kind of sense that Lucas was trying to make some kind of interesting point, but it just like didn't really yeah. quite get there. I am um, because you're like about almost exactly my age, right? Because we were pretty young when the first prequel came out. I think we were in middle school, and then Episode Two came out when I think we were young high schoolers, and then Episode Three came out when we were old high schoolers. So it was really interesting to kind of have like three different perspectives. Because as an 11 year old or whatever, Episode One came out, and I was still very enchanted by it. You know, I was just like thrilled to the moon to see a new star wars movie in theaters but there's definitely something in the back of my head like subconsciously like you remember the the good old um uh takedown videos by uh, red letter media the plinket <laughs> reviews of the prequels that's like i think that was like the the cornerstone of prequel hate them but um he says you may have not noticed it but your brain did <laughs> when, it, when, when he talks about the flaws in those movies and I think I think my brain noticed flaws even as an eleven year old. I didn't, couldn't quite put my finger on it, but it was still magic, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think all of us wa- walked into those movies wanting to sort of like you know really capture the essence of what we loved about the original trilogy going into it, and like that was a really sort of strong priming for us. Yeah, but what is that essence, right? Like the the prequels would tell you that the essence seems to be midichlorians. <laughs> That's the essence. <laughs> The essence is midichlorians. The essence is mitochondria, but the Force version. (laughs) It's the powerhouse of the Star Wars, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I guess the question is, like, what was sort of like the heart of Star Wars? Um, It felt to me like it was about, you know, some sort of like, it was about a setting that was completely and totally detached from, like, modern reality. Um, Yep. Very foreign so foreign and there's like there were like rules that they put in place like costume design rules for instance like y- y- the the original costume designers the original visual people were like no zippers no buttons no things that would like really remind you of like earth clothing and mm-hmm. therefore they have tunics and robes and all these other kind of things which i suppose 
if <laughs> if tunics and robes were common in Earth now, <laughs> we probably wouldn't have cho- making those cho- made those choices. Choices. Mm-hmm. And it also feels like a big part of his anti-authoritarianism. Basically, just having a bunch of space Nazis going around doing space Nazi stuff. Not to mention also like kind of like an Eastern philosophy angle when you really mm-hmm. stop and think about it, right? Like the way the Jedi and the way the Force is very seems very much derived from like Zen, like a Zen Buddhism kind of angle, yeah. and that's always an int- I guess that's always an interesting story, right? Because like you know how like George R. R. Martin says that like the best stories are like what does he say? I'm going to butcher this quote. Are, are like stories of the human heart in conflict with itself. And I kind of feel like that's almost like the essence of Zen Buddhism is to like kind of overcome all of the hangups and attachments and emotions and whatnot and, and, and become more in control of yourself. So it's like inherently a self, like a man versus self-conflict that, that, that translates really well, especially I guess to a Western audience who might not be used to those ideas. Mm-hmm. Huh. I do kind of wonder like, you know, the way that it's introduced in like the original trilogy it's all about sort of like controlling your rage and sort of like, you know, the sort of like darker feelings and whatnot. But when they went into the t- prequel trilogy, it was like, oh, you know, Jedi falling in love is a bad thing. And in a sense, it's almost saying that love is a bad thing in a sense. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like, and I feel like they wanted that to be a theme and didn't really, they just didn't really execute on that theme well enough. Mm-hmm. It was like, I, I guess I don't know how to do it, but if, if, if you want like, if you want this like Jedi order to be a bunch of sort of like, you know, robotic, emotionless husks of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you like, you have to do more to show why that's bad than just showing Anakin, like, struggle with it as an asshole teenager. I don't know. Like, there, yeah. there needed to be more to that. It is kind of funny that you think about it that, like, he is the only one that struggles with that stuff, and every single yeah. other Jedi is like the coolest, most calm person on They're the planet. They're just absolutely awesome with being, yeah, completely rigid and emotionless. And like, it doesn't show the consequences of that ever. Something that comes to mind for me, um, since this podcast is the reason why I watched Avatar The Last Airbender, which also draws (laughs) from a lot of the same sort of, you know, Zen sort of, you know, philosophy and whatnot, like towards the end of it, like, you know, Aang has said, okay, now you need to let go of love as well and whatnot. And he explicitly rejects that. Mm. Um, And so it's sort of like the same sort of idea, same sort of struggle, just a different take on it. How do you feel about the his the the his conflict, Ang's conflict towards the end of that story, being solved with an extreme application of acupressure? <laughs> <laughs> like he can't use the avatar state; his chakras are blocked, and it's just the fire lord yeets him into a rock, and the rock <laughs> yep. hits his spine in just the right place, and it unlocks everything. It's like, oh, well, that was easy. Problem solved. <laughs> yeah, um, a bit, bit of a Deus Ex Machina. Uh, yeah, it was fine. The I thought I thought the better fight was uh, uh, Zuko versus Azula. Anyways, mm-hmm. that one pulls the heartstrings. Mm, that was definitely the better Star Wars story. <laughs> Way to bring it back. Yeah, the story of like uh, family, right? I mean, I guess that's a big part of what Star Wars, at least the original trilogy, was really good at is the family conflict that's that's embedded into the bigger conflict. And again, the prequels and the sequels didn't really do a great job of uh, capturing that. I would say. I mean, also, as we think about it, like we talked about the original trilogy being about space Nazis, authoritarianism and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess like that just isn't present originally in the prequel trilogies, although the story is sort of like the rise of the authoritarian. It was supposed to be the, yeah, exactly. The the fall of the Republic to and the rise of the fascist takeover. Yeah. Here's, Here's something I'm thinking about is like Star Wars, the original trilogy was felt mythological or mythic in its mm-hmm. sort of presentation. 
I, I, I actually have a really hard time quantifying what that is, but the other two definitely don't have that same like mythic quality. Like, I don't know. Is it like a, um, something that just like it hits really deeply at some kind of like common human experience or story and told in, in a simple way? Is like the feeling that like the characters and the actions are larger than life, just in sort of like, you know, it's almost like they're casting really long shadows in your mind. Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, like it, it's one of those things where it feels deep. It feels like it's tapping into some sort of like fundamental universal human story. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Which I guess, I mean, it, it, it's exactly what it is, right? Like it was directly derived from the hero's journey. Joseph, Joseph Campbell, am I getting that right? Mm-hmm. Right. And George Lucas like was pulling very, very directly from the hero's journey, uh, which has like very specific steps in kind of how you tell the story of a person being like taken from a normal life and a, a wise, you know, there's like a call to adventure and a wise advisor who eventually, you know, has to be killed or removed from the story or, and, you know, you gain power and all this other stuff. And it's like presumably potentially something that is common in many stories across all of human history. Mm-hmm. And then therefore Star Wars is actually just another, just yet another retelling of that very similar framework of story. And maybe it's simply that he didn't, <laughs> George Lucas and or Disney did not derive from any human universal storytelling framework like Star Wars, the original trilogy did. Hmm. That just kind of makes me think that almost like the story potential was like fully spent almost in the original trilogy, right? It's very possible. Yeah. You know, the prequels kind of go into this political stuff, which is kind of a, just a different feel and different angle. The sequels are just kind of rehashing the same shit. So there's like not really any like deep kind of storytelling kind of happening in either the prequels or the sequels. It's just. Yeah. You know, it's too bad because I feel like you could tell. I feel like you could tell the political story more mythologically if you're being, if you're just coming at it from like a different angle. Like what if it was being told? Because like, I mean, I, I've do, I do a lot of looking at fascism and how it comes to power and stuff for, you know, just uh, purely purely educational purposes nothing to do with not, being terrified about what's happening in, in real, yep. the real world. Um, but like fascism itself taps into some mythological mythic s- stories that people tell about themselves. And I feel like they really could have tapped into that for star Wars. And it wouldn't have been, it would have been interesting if they were able to kind of tap into sort of the, uh, I don't know, as I'm talking about this, I'm just picturing, you know, like the, the epic in a not the greatest way, like, designs of like nazi propaganda posters and um what's that movie that's really famous the propaganda movie you know what i'm talking about yeah the reefer saw one it's like trying for the will that's what it is there it is the triumph for the will look at you if they have, if they could have like tapped into some of that sort of stylistic imagery as a way to show how people could totally fall in love with the idea of of an empire missed opportunities hmm. yeah i felt like the arc of the prequels just it's like trade disputes trade disputes oh we're nazis now yeah. <laughs> And it was all like weirdly calculated by a single dude and pitted yeah. like he somehow constructed both sides and pitted them against each other. That's just, yeah. The omnipotence of Emperor Palpatine is a huge, <laughs> I would say, like f- sticking point for me. Like it's just, that's just dumb and not realistic. Well, thank God they took care of him for good in episode nine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. All right. Yeah. Do we have to talk about Disney now? We have to talk about the Disney era. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I mean, it's been, it's, it's so interesting because there's so much potential and they've done some, in my opinion, really awesome things here and there, but they very rarely hit the mark. I think, I think they hit the mark twice. I think Rogue One, the movie hit the mark pretty well. It's flawed. I I still think it's flawed. And if Andy were here, he would be. He would agree with you that it's flawed. 
<laughs> to say the least, yes. Um, and I think, yeah, The Mandalorian, at least like the early Mandalorian, yep. those are two ones that really I thought hit the mark for, for, for Disney and for Star Wars. And like they've, they've definitely got the ability to do like a Marvel Cinematic Universe thing, but with Star Wars, and they, they're getting there. But like, I think they have to do what um, in The Last Jedi, the theme of The Last Jedi was like, let the past die. They have to stop regurgitating and human centipeding the the like central Star Wars canon and and be okay with expanding out because it's a huge universe. There's so much out there to explore. I don't know what do you guys think about that. <laughs> well, I, I feel like I'm going to be sort of rehashing something we were talking about in pre- preparation for this, but uh, one of the complaints was that um, everything takes place on Tatooine nowadays, the ascent of the universe <laughs> where nothing interesting happens except that everything interesting in the Star Wars universe happens on Tatooine, apparently. It is the most interesting planet. Oh my God. Yeah. It's so many things. And even like when they tried to get, get away from Tatooine and retell like Ray's story as like a mirror to Luke Skywalker's, it's like, Oh, it's just Tatooine, but with a different name. Fuck it. Yep. <laughs> Sigh. My theory is that it's just simply really easy to film in Tunisia where, where, where they've already filmed all the Tatooine scenes and keep on going. It looks otherworldly. Cause it's not like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess, I guess that's part of it, right? If you, hmm, if you filmed in like, say uh you know the, the the west coast and there were like redwood trees and you'd be like i recognize that species of tree that's an earth tree that takes me out of this f- film <laughs> i don't know is that not, a, not everyone is a red letter media reviewer <laughs> for the best for the best i think although i guess it, I, it wasn't a lot of the endor stuff filmed literally in a place like that i guess that must have been real trees it's not like they made models <laughs> of trees and then filmed the speeder chase scenes probably I wouldn't be surprised if it was one of the Redwood Forests or something like that. But yeah, I mean, like, desert is definitely something that doesn't provide you any sort of definitive this is Earth things. The only other, you know, thing I can think of is like, you know, oh, the Coruscant, the city uh, planet. That's just a lot of really expensive CGI. And ain't got no money for that to put a series there. Although I'd be very interested in seeing like a police procedural there or something like that. That could be real interesting. (laughs) It's good noir, noir storytelling. Mm Mm-hmm. It is very Star Warsy, right? To have the blank planet. Planets don't have variety in Star Wars. They have been completely monolithically converted into one thing or another. You got the city planet, you got the desert planet, you got the ice planet. Yep. I feel like there's some missed opportunities. Couldn't you have like? There's got to be other human constructs you could do. What if there was like the roller coaster planet, like the theme park planet? Just a mm. whole planet filled with theme park. <laughs> the Walmart planet. The Walmart planet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure it'll be a Costco planet. It'll, it'll it's true. It's that. true. Mm. They check your membership ID like when you dock. <laughs> it's just a single warehouse covering the entire planet. So it's just the entire planet is just the roof of a, of a Costco warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> the planet known for its cheap hot dog and soda combo deal. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of wonder if that sort of comes from... Star Wars being, you know, a very early science fiction thing um, with our sort of like concept of like, oh, alien planet. It's a planet that's going to be X, planet that's going to be Y. I feel like we painted a lot with sort of black and white when it comes to sort of like um, alien species and things like that in, you know, Star Trek, for example. You know, you've got the race of greed, you've got the race of honor, you've got the race of logic. Um, mm-hmm. So there wasn't a lot of nuance in terms of how we portrayed planets 
or, you know, alien species or things like that back then. And I kind of feel like a lot of what Star Wars is right now is a holdover from the time in which it was originally envisioned. Does that mean Star Wars is just kind of outdated? I kind of think about this sometimes. You know, when I see like Disney era Star Wars stuff and like the characters in that world are using like basically 70s futurism like computers, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, come on, they can they can travel like instantaneously from like one star system to another. But they use like a like a shitty button based like <laughs> LCD display computer. Like what the fuck is happening here? I feel like sometimes that can be part of the charm of it. Like, yeah, I mean, if they whipped out an iPad, that would look stupid. Right. Like one of the things I've loved about the Fallout series is the fact that canonically in that universe, the transistor was never invented. And so everything is this really clunky vacuum tube based technology, despite the fact that they've got like artificial intelligences and things like that. But, you know, it gives rise to a particular aesthetic, which I kind of like. I think it is funny that they have those shitty old computers, but they also have like incredibly advanced holograms everywhere. Yeah. What's up with that? (laughs) Well, they're advanced and shitty, right? Because they like glitch out and... Mm. They are like mono, like they're only like a single color, right? Like it's, it's again, weirdly like outdated futurism, except for the fact that, yeah, you can just project a 3D image anywhere. I guess it's interesting to sort of think about other science fiction series that have come along since then in more modern times. Although I'm honestly a little bit struggling. The first one that came to mind was like the reboot of Dune. And I'm like, that's not a new series. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and Star Wars actually derived very greatly off of Dune. That's why Tatooine's so important, because Tatooine is just discount Arrakis. <laughs> it doesn't create a spice that the entire world runs on. It just spawned the most, some of the most important characters that ever lived and existed. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I mean, I th- I, you, you mentioned The Expanse earlier. I think that's an interesting mm, one to compare to fair. in a lot of ways, right? Expanse is doing a lot more like hard, hard sci-fi and and uh, you know, we want to talk about political stuff, like a really, really realistic view on what a semi-near future human society could look like that has started colonizing the whole solar system and the, the, the class divides and the racial divides that are not based on Earth races, but based on which type of gravity you grew up in. Like, it's, it's super rad. Expanse mm-hmm. is absolutely awesome. Yeah. And if I recall correctly, a lot of the sort of inspiration that the authors took for that series were history. Like basically yeah. sort of like historical rise and fall of ancient empires and things like that. And basically saying, based on these existing patterns of human history, what is likely to happen given human nature and human you know, tendencies in these new environments that in some way resemble historical developments that humanity's faced before. Um, and it's a really interesting take on that. But yeah, that is very serious, right? Like when you, I guess with the sort of, uh, perspective of like you know many years of being a fan and being a older adult now like that's kind of not what star wars is about right really mm-hmm. star wars is a, is supposed to just be like really fun films from the start right just like really cool set pieces and really cool action and taking like visual effects to the next level and and all that kind of stuff and there's a certain amount of campiness as well like the yeah. films don't take themselves totally seriously yeah and i wonder if it's a mistake for all the fandom and us to be trying to take it as seriously as we do Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like that's one of the things that the Mandalorian got really right. Like, it clearly does not take itself very seriously. It has a lot of fun with itself and the Star yeah. Wars universe, and that comes across. When Amy Amy Sedaris's character is like the like the epitome of that idea, and when her she's the the Tatooine uh, mechanic, right, with the curly hair. Anyways, right, she's hilarious, and 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 
like a perfect fit for the tone like like of a of a Star Wars campy character that isn't like like I don't know super annoying or one dimensional like she's just a cool character like she definitely reminds me of sort of like the like the the vibe that original you know CT and RTD2 as the sort of comic relief were in the original trilogy mm-hmm. contrasting that with someone like Jar Jar Binks <laughs> as a poor version of that of that attempt sigh sigh have we talked about it on this podcast the whole Jar Jar Binks theory the, the Sith Lord theory uh, no and we probably shouldn't it's completely stupid <laughs> no I love it so much <laughs> you can't bring it up and then not talk about it I'm sorry that those are the rules. I, I could do it in, I could do it in brief but there's a theory out there that Jar Jar Bink was at, was actually supposed to be like a Sith Lord, like a secret Sith Lord, and that would have been revealed in future episodes of the prequels, and that the backlash against his character was so bad that George Lucas backpedaled and remo- basically removed him from the rest of the story and didn't do that. And there's like all this evidence, right? So like some of the evidence is how like accidentally uh, uh, competent Jar Jar is in fighting. He's got this sort of drunken master style or whatever, you know? He actually like kicks a lot of ass quote unquote accidentally but maybe he's just acting like a buffoon and really like hiding his power level um and like all that sounded silly the one thing that makes it a little more compelling for me is that he could be the dark mirror of yoda because yoda was also a goofy weird asshole (laughs) that you don't take seriously and then suddenly oh my god he's a jedi master and like wouldn't it have been crazy interesting to have this similar like character that was actually a dark dark side master um We'll never know, and, and George Lucas would never ever tell us if he if that's what, what his original intention was with that character. The only thing I can say is that the author is well and truly dead at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Harkening back to some old episodes again, yeah. <sighs> that would have been an interesting take. It would have been an interesting diversion. <laughs> can you imagine Jar Jar being the antagonist of episode nine? Okay, I'm on board again. <laughs> that's great. Would have been great. Oh my god. I mean, he still could have had a, some sort of weird relationship with with Palpatine slash Darth Sidious, either as his apprentice or maybe the other way around. And then, like, he takes him out and he becomes the Sith the Sith Master. I really yeah. wanted there to be Epic. a reveal where it was actually him that was Ray's father. Jar Jar Binks? Yes. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing is, would he, like, drop the accent or would he speak, like, all like that all the time? <laughs> it would, if you're doing the Yoda thing, it would be, like, partially dropped but partial part of it was still yoda's thing right like yoda really camped up his his dotty old man shtick but once he became serious he still had that weird grammar thing he still reversed the order of his sentences so i bet you it would have been something like that i don't know it's a head, headcanon thing i still think that should, that's true and i would have that would have been so so much more epic if that was how that story turned out they would have had to introduce all these other villains that were just like in one episode at a time like who the fuck is dooku i don't care about him (laughs) it's christopher lee okay you respect we respect christopher lee on this podcast i do i i I do you're right i'm sorry (laughs) i accept your apology you need a different sith to be cut in half with every different episode you know that's sort of like a quota (laughs) thing you guys mind if i i'm gonna ruin my audio for a second (laughs) there we go we do need to meet brennan's two drink minimum so yep I've been waiting for this. I finished my first drink a while ago. Hmm. Oh, God. That was a very, very heady stout. I have to wait. <laughs> um, but yeah, what, are, uh, what's, what's, what, what, else, what else is there to... I mean, there's so much to talk about Star Wars, of course. What do we want? What, what, choose your own adventure. I guess one of the things that I've been thinking about with regards to Star Wars is 
Like it's a property that's been around for is it thirty years now? Longer? Not like forty years actually. Fifty. Fifty. The first one came out in seventy seven. So Jesus. In twenty twenty seven, it'll be fifty years old. Right? Did I do that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think so. So forty five years old. Yeah. One of the things I wonder about is after a property's been around that long with that many owners and that much sort of established canon and whatnot, does it become harder and harder to actually contribute to that because it becomes so, I don't know, it's like a company that's been around and grown too large and become, you know, basically unwieldy and then eventually falls victim to younger, more agile competitors. And I'm wondering if there's like a story equivalent of that where you've got so much bloated extended universe and whatnot, you're like... That's what they did. They had an extended universe. Mm -hmm. This whole series of dozens of novels that were written between, you know, Return of the Jedi and the Disney acquisition. And then, and like the timeline of that story spanned decades after the Return of the Jedi. Like, like main characters had children and then they became adults and had their own Star Wars adventures, you know? Uh, It's freaking crazy. And then Disney comes along and buys the franchise and was like, okay, this whole expanded universe, no longer canon. Just every, every novel you read just, just doesn't count anymore. Fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> My understanding is a lot of that extended universe stuff was far better received than the newer trilogy, right? Yeah. And you know, there was a reason, I mean, every story that was written did take into account all the other stories that were written to make sure like canonically they fit together. And I'm pretty sure Lucas arts or Lucasfilm or whoever, some, there was an actual authority that like approved the stuff. So like they were kind of still guiding the vision of the whole story. And um, yeah, it had coherency. And that was really interesting and cool. The weird thing is, and I forget where I saw this, but um, so one of the, the, one of the most well-received uh, expanded universe books was uh, written by Timothy Zahn. It was called the, the Thrawn Trilogy. And it, was telling, it tells the story of, of a character named Grand Admiral Thrawn, who essentially becomes a new emperor of, of the empire or like the remnants of the empire. And I think he tries to make a comeback. I actually never read those, weirdly. They were so well-received and so like celebrated that in some relatively recent Disney show, I want to say Book of Boba Fett, Grand Admiral Thrawn, the character, was named, like he was t- spoken of by a character. And I go, oh, fuck. Okay, so the extended universe is not canon except for when we want it to be and it's convenient for us and we're going to steal from it. And that's very odd and weird. And yet I'm also kind of excited because I heard it was a really, really good story. <laughs> I think, I mean, it's kind of funny. I was thinking just about long running franchises. I think the pattern is just that the franchise will just reboot itself or like reset its canon from some arbitrary point just to redo everything. I mean, comic books have been doing this forever, right? Like Marvel, both Marvel and I think DC have had like, you know, multiverse stuff, which is like, oh, everything's gone now and we're starting over. Great. <laughs> uh, even like, you know, long running like horror franchises, like the Halloween continuity i don't know if i mentioned before the halloween continuity is crazy like messed up now (laughs) like there's the whole like sequels there's halloween 3 which is like not in the same continuity except that halloween 1 takes place in like halloween 1 is playing on in like a bar like on a tv in a bar in halloween 3 that means halloween 1 is uh, is a fictional story within that universe (laughs) (laughs) and then there's like the original sequels and there's like the rob zombie reboot but then there's also the new ones that go off of Halloween one and then ignore all of the sequels, including two. So is that one of the horror franchises that they had one in space or was that a different one? That was Jason was in space. Michael okay. went to space. <laughs> Does he just float very steadily at, at you while you try to run away 
and you look behind it, you yourself, and he's still floating steadily at you. <laughs> well, they're on a ship. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I, yeah. <laughs> not literally in space. But yeah, because like Star Wars, I don't know, Star Wars is Star Wars is like campy, but not that campy, right? Like still people still want to take it seriously and they want it to have like a continuity. Everyone would be pissed off if there was suddenly like a multiverse or like a some sort of contrived reset, right? I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Disney or whoever made like a another <sighs> another trilogy is like, oh, the sequels weren't actually canon. We're making another Luke Skywalker. Okay, I'll, I'll give them that. If they, if they decide to make the sequels not canon and, <laughs> and try again, I'm all for it. Absolutely. <laughs> hmm. um, but like Star Wars has such a, it's a gigantic universe with like potentially, you know, millions of settings, right? Millions of different planets, all with their, all, you know, cultures and aliens and whatever. More desert planets than you can imagine. So many <laughs> desert planets. There could be like black sand deserts and red sand deserts and rocky deserts i don't know but um right it's got a huge time timeline to play with too right like it has like thousands of years of semi laid out history um everyone focuses on the one part but again that's sort of like the maybe over relying too much on the one part that everyone's familiar with and not expanding out to like you know the old republic is like a period of time that lasts many thousands of years before the prequel trilogy it's gotta be so many cool stories you could tell there that wouldn't like affect the canon too much of everything else and would be awesome still you could still have jedis you could still have lightsabers and mythic good versus evil and wonky 70s era futuristic technology <laughs> but but they don't do that mm -hmm. except for knights of the old republic they were the ballsy ones knights of the old republic I, I feel like it's worth calling that i never finished either of the games though i was very impressed with the portion that i did play yeah um, me either <laughs> but like my understanding of sort of like one of the ideas that they were sort of going up uh, with in that series is that like, in a sense, like the dark side versus light side was kind of like making people puppets in acting out this sort of perpetual sort of like pointless conflict and basically just sort of like dragging people along. And like it was in a sense, this sort of like never ending, you know, drama that wasn't actually good. So is the story um, of KOTOR then like a meta commentary on the idea of that conflict not being like a good thing? Of course, conflict's not a good thing, but... That was the sense I got for it, but I'm also a terrible authority on this given that I never finished either game. And so I'm saying, this is what I read <laughs> somebody had an opinion about based on a game that I played, but I never finished. So I was hoping one of you two had finished the games or had better uh, knowledge of this. Otherwise, I'm just completely shooting out of my ass here. I hope you did for it because I, I played the first few hours of KOTOR and that's it. I played both of them and I don't remember. <laughs> what? <laughs> Clearly they made an impression. <laughs> so I can recast this slightly differently then. Um, like one of the underarching themes of Star Wars is the idea of the existence of this light side and dark side. And they never talk about sort of like, you know, the light side triumphing and that is sort of like the end goal. Uh, in the sort of Star Wars trilogies. Exactly. Like balancing yeah. the two of them. Right. What does that mean when one of them is like the force of evil and killing children and sort of, you know, <laughs> doing other stuff? And the other one is high enlightenment and, you know, sort of like going past all of these, you know, worldly corporeal desires. Like, yeah, it's like the Slytherin problem. Like, why is there one house that's for the evil people? Mm -hmm. <laughs> How else are you going to get the evil people to pay their tuition? 
Um, actually, one of those extended universe books really went really hardcore into that, like qu the questioning the dichotomy of the light and dark side. Um, it did lead to one of the main characters, not like our, not like our main characters from the movies, but one of the main characters from the extended sequel trilogy, or the extended universe, turning to the dark side and becoming a absolute monster, dark lord, Sith lord. So it's interesting because you saw his like temptation and his fall and the sort of philosophical like, uh, you know, like lines of thought that he followed to get there i guess mm -hmm. but yeah it was definitely a big questioning calling into question whether the dark side is really evil and when you're reading it it seems like oh this could be kind of reasonable maybe this is shitty and then i'm not sure i'm, I'm not sure if that was part of the sort of like story tennis that was being played between multiple authors that made him fall to the true <laughs> dark side later on but uh, i didn't i didn't read all those it's like, w would it be Star Wars, though, if you deconstructed that all the way to the point where no one could really say there was a true evil and a true good? It almost feels like that's like still like... <laughs> it's it's a little bit too much of equivocation in a like, story where you have like basically literal Nazis. <laughs> not a great, maybe not a great look. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of feel like at the end of the day, like a certain moral simplicity is actually kind of at the heart of Star Wars. I, I feel so. like it's it's not a series about making difficult moral decisions. It's a series about making the decision whether or not to stand up to tyranny. And that's about right. it. And like they're modeled after Nazis, but they don't have the same philosophical underpinnings of Nazis. They just kind of put on the costumes and the affectation of a authoritarian government without any of the sort of like reasons why they do what they do, aside from pure power. In a sense, it's kind of 1984-ish, right? Like that government is all about authoritarianism, not necessarily about an extreme left or an extreme right wing point of view on like actual issues. It's just about power. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what Star Wars Empire type things are, seem to be like too. I don't know. And again, like sometimes the more, sometimes, I mean, maybe Star Wars should grow into a bit of more moral complexity. That could be like a way for the series and this franchise to like grow up a little bit in 2022. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of, seemed like what Ryan Johnson was going for on Last Jedi. And then there was like, nope. Yeah, not doing that. I mean, this is getting back into like what, what when you have a, a franchise that's being helmed by multiple authors, what does that look like? And sometimes it looks like bad. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it looks like, hey, I'm I'm going to I'm going to set up this thing and let some other person take over the story from here. And the other person goes, OK, I'm going to take it in this direction. And then the guy goes, oh, well, for my third version, my third installment here, I'm going to say, fuck you and undo everything that you did in your second version and go back to what I thought was I was setting up in the first in the first thing. That is the story of J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson making the sequel trilogy. <laughs> I'm still so Fucking... curious what would have happened if uh, the other, like it was Colin Trevorrow or whatever his name was, like was supposed to like do. A, like a whole third other person took it from there. That would yeah. be awesome. Would so much yeah, that was what it was supposed to be. Then Disney fired him because his other movie didn't do, do well enough or something. Jeez. And then they brought on J.J., which was a great decision. <laughs> <sighs> My God. <laughs> I don't know. What other things have Star Wars done like really good? recently just to bring it to a more positive thing like they had a really good board game star wars rebellion um <laughs> never played it yeah i've only played it like once or twice um it's a two-player board game um which limits the appeal it's also like one of those really like multiple hours long board games <laughs> um and it's fairly involved and there's a lot of rules um but if you are one of those people that plays lots of two-player board games uh and you like really competitive, complicated things, uh, Star Wars Rebellion is the board game for you. And apparently it has some good expansions as well. Um, but it apparently sort of, it, 
it basically takes like the kind of trilogy um, and puts it in sort of board game format. Um, one player is the Empire, one player is the Rebellion, and it plays out very asymmetrically, where the Empire is by far more powerful and has more influence over the board and the ability to do things. And so, like, the goal of the Rebellion isn't to conquer all of the planets. It's, you know, it's not sort of like that. It's like you need to get victory points by inspiring the galactic populace, by having, like, mm. opportune victories. Like, you want to have a battle in which you destroy, like, you know, the Death Star, or you occupy Coruscant for a turn or something like that. It's all about basically just sort of, like, you know, doing inspiring things as the Rebellion and shepherding the limited forces you have and not getting completely wiped out by the Empire in the meantime. It's very well done. That's cool. I mean, that story of rebellion, also very universal and compelling. Going mm-hmm. back to the expanse, you because you, uh, I don't want to spoil too much, but if you had been, if you've been on the sort of more recent book, the end end of the books, the idea of no matter how overwhelmingly powerful your your conquering empire will be, as long as there could always be a resistance undermining it at every turn and mm-hmm. actually costing it a lot. It's very cool. Very cool story. Agreed. Um, but yeah, I mean, like other things, like I said, Star Wars, I think did a really good job with like some of its recent TV shows. I would say The Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett episodes that feature The Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sadly, I don't think The Book of Boba Fett was good otherwise. And what was um, that animated series that's been well regarded? Yeah, right. And there's The Clone Wars. Um, I, I always have a hard time because I, I don't actually have these super straight. There's like two Clone Wars a series. One is the sort of 3D animated one. And then one was the sort of Samurai Jack styled one, 2D one from like a way, way long ago. And they're both supposed to be very, very good, but for different reasons. And yeah, those ones, especially the 3D animated one, does a lot of the storytelling and character building that was sort of missed in the prequels, uh, right? Like showing Anakin Skywalker as like a true hero of the Clone Wars era and like a truly amazing pilot and all these other things. And it really kind of builds him more up as so that he could when his fall happens later it's like more impactful as opposed to just showing him as sort of this angsty shitty already murdered you know murdered people kind of person that you see in the in the prequels <laughs> i have one other thought to say which is i've been watching the obi-wan series i think i've seen the first two or three episodes now not a huge fan of it however i see it doing a couple things that i really wish the prequel trilogy did one is featuring the planet of Alderaan as a setting. Um, I forget. I forget where I saw this. There's a YouTube sh- sh- series that was like doing like a like a like a retooling of the prequels. And one of the biggest things that that and then like showing you how that pl- that new story could play out. And um, one of the big retoolings was to basically not make Naboo a place and make Alderaan the setting of the prequels. And how much more amazing that would have been as a storytelling thing to know, like, oh my God, they're on this like planet that ends up. Like if if you don't know Alderaan listeners, that's the planet that gets blown up in Star Wars: New Hope by the Death Star. It's like the one planet you ever see get blown up like that. Wouldn't have been amazing if you had been following stories and adventures on that planet in the prequels, knowing that it would end up someday being destroyed in the future. Mm. It's too bad. But they had to make they had to make underwater planet of Naboo. Alderaan could have been an underwater planet. You basically it looked <laughs> Earth like, right? It, you you see it for like two seconds and it blows up, and it like had like continents and a big blue ocean like Earth. Absolutely could have been been the same same exact thing. It could have been one of those really rare planets in the Star Wars universe with multiple biomes. <laughs> well, which is what Naboo was. <laughs> its two biomes were the ocean and Italy. 
right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyways, Obi-Wan has some stuff that takes place on uh, Alderaan, which is interesting to, to see, to see what that place looks like, knowing it's doomed future. Oh, deep, deep blue ocean. That's what I mean. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still excited. I, I think Disney just needs more, a little more time to kind of figure its shit out. And like, if it gives itself more of like a, I mean, it, I think it just needs to take more of a page out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, into, I don't, I don't know what it's doing differently. I think you guys said this once a while back, like they, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has like a guy or like a person that like controls the vision of it. Right? Yeah, it's Kevin Feige, I think. Okay, so yeah, he like kind of is like the mastermind. So like, did, Star Wars needs a new mastermind, I think. And if they can do that, yeah. then I think they would be in good shape. So what they really need to do is bring back George Lucas. Problem solved. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for the kind of <laughs> new advanced trade disputes and tax negotiations and all the new <laughs> sequel movies. Hey, that could be awesome as long as he doesn't direct. I think that's the big right. That that's the big thing everyone agrees on, even if. They, you know, maybe maybe more forgiving the prequels is like he doesn't write good dialogue. He's not a good director, so he can have his cool kooky ideas and let someone else sort of like execute on those things. That'd be cool. I'd be okay with it. Yeah, or it could be one of us. We'll be the we'll be the <laughs> mastermind. Clearly, we've solved it. Mm-hmm. Seems reasonable. Just roll a dice at the end of the series or the end of the episode. Find out who's responsible for Star Wars going forward. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, I was gonna say you can make make Star Wars like a like a Dungeons and Dragons game, and it's collaborative storytelling. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say you roll a dice to see who the villain is. All the sides are Jar Jar. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> that would be my version if I was controlling it. Yeah, <laughs> all the sides are Jar Jar. <laughs> wow, the conspiracy is deeper than I could have possibly imagined. I'm really curious, like, uh, if they were going to just try to come out with a new Star Wars trilogy at some point, what they would do with it. Wasn't there always going to be a rumor that there was, there was going to be another <sighs> sequel trilogy or something? There's always going to be a rumor, I'd imagine. <laughs> I mean, there's always going to be more movies, right? But the question is, when you say a trilogy, do you mean, like, a new con- con- continuation of the sort of Skywalker saga? Because that's what the sort of trilogy of trilogies is really about, right? I or... guess I'd settle for any sort of trilogy at this point. Like if they're going out and saying, you know what, we're going to make three movies in a row and they're going to be in the Star Wars universe. That would count. Yeah, and it wouldn't be great if those three movies had coherency. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like a trilogy should. I feel like I'd take like one one good movie. It's so weird though. It's not like the original trilogy had like tons of coherency. There was so much that was not planned between the movies. Like even like Darth Vader being Luke's father wasn't planned from the get-go. It was a thing that we added in when we made Empire Strikes Back. But we thought that we thought it was fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what's missing what's missing when the the sequel trilogy isn't planned i don't know i thought i, thought I saw some really funny reddit thread that was asking like why was luke skywalker still named skywalker it still is the same name as <laughs> darth vader and then the answer mm-hmm. is just like they didn't fucking think of that because the first movie he wasn't his father <laughs> <laughs> right yeah they, they should have really made like well they, they, they really fucked up when because it's not like the, the sequel trilogy ever said anakin's last name was skywalker right I think they did. They did. did I'm, they? I'm, I'm fairly sure they did. Right. And I mean, when it comes to people sort of being an anonymous and whatnot, like, oh, my name is Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm going to go into hiding. So I'm going to change my name into Old Ben Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> no one will ever think to find me here. It's genius. I'm going to wear the same Jedi costume that I've worn my entire life. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But I won't have to change my name tags on anything. 
I've already said this though, right? Like the whole costuming thing in the sort of more modern area of Star Wars makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> like Obi-Wan's brown robes was he didn't wear those because he was a Jedi. He wore them because he wore, lived in a fucking desert. That's that's a desert outfit. And then when that became the Jedi like uniform in the prequels, my little 11-year-old brain was like, I, mm, my brain, I don't notice this, but my brain does. This isn't mm-hmm. right. Why is this? Why is he wearing desert clothes as his uni- standardized uniform? Similar, again, Baby Yoda, man. Baby Yoda's stupid little, he, he, he's wearing a burlap sack straight out of Dagobah. He doesn't need to wear that. Why? That's not like intrinsic to his species to wear burlap sacks. Yoda <laughs> wore that because he looked... Why isn't baby Yoda nude? Make <laughs> no. baby Yoda naked. <laughs> he can wear anything. He's a baby. He should wear his fucking swaddling clothes. He should wear a swaddling blanket that is white and clean and swaddling. Not a burlap <laughs> sack that comes from Dagobah. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're just... Yeah. Costumes became a part of that character's like physical body as opposed to an expression of the environment that they live in, and it became stupid. Well, maybe the maybe like the Jedi headquarters is originally supposed to be in like in a Tatooine planet. That's why exactly. Tatooine's so important. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually where the force the force originates. Like if you if you like use like a Geiger counter on Tatooine, it gives you the most force at Tatooine, and it it, mm. it radiates from there. Clearly, You've got like an underground sea of metachlorians. <laughs> That's where the spice is. The, all the worms they they make the spice. They make the they make the midichlorians and poop them out. Spice blow. They poop them out and then they go into orphans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got a bumper crop of orphans in uh, Tatooine this year. <laughs> <laughs> you guys ready to uh, take a break? Sure. Yeah. And we're back. Do you guys want to do? Hey, check this out. So ready. Yeah, I don't know. It kind of feels like sacrilege without Andy here, but you know what? I'll do it anyway. You've done it before. That's okay. Ford does a good job leaning into the microphone and making it. That's different. true. That's true. <laughs> bass. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'll make that extra um, bassy. <laughs> Perfect. All right. I can start us off because I talked slightly, slightly faster than Brendan. So therefore, I'm stealing his thunder. I, I think that was more about your ping, your ping. But sure, go for it. <laughs> it's the ping. Nope, 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 nope. No such thing as relative locations, and uh, <laughs> me being earlier in my own location rather than yours. Anyway, um, I'm going to recommend a good old drama series called The Wire. Uh, people are probably familiar with it. If you're not, uh, this is an excellent opportunity to be familiar with it, um, since I think you can stream it on HBO Max now. Um, and it's basically a uh, drama that portrays both sort of like the drug dealers and law enforcement in Baltimore. Um, 
and shows basically like the problems inherent in the system on both sides um, in a very authentic and well done uh, manner. Come see the violence inherent in the system. <laughs> Come see the violence inherent in the system. <laughs> so one of my favorite stories about the production of The Wire is there's one character in it called Bubbles, who is an addict and police informant. And he was, um, you know, they were filming on the streets of Baltimore, you know, sort of going the shakes and whatnot. And um, an actual addict from the streets came up to him and gave him like his own dose of heroin and said, wow, I, I think you need it more than I do. And so he went on and referred to that as his um, street Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you put it up on his mantle. I hope you like shellacked it or something first. <laughs> Not a safe thing to leave around otherwise. <laughs> right. <laughs> Encase it in resin, something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or just stick it in the stick it in the the outstretched hands of an actual Oscar, assuming he's ever gotten one. <laughs> but anyway, it's an excellent series um, and very well produced. Um, and yeah, I would highly recommend it if you have not seen it. Uh, I'll go next. Um, so y'all know I'm an avid Eve Online player, and I'm a CEO of my corporation, and all those sorts of things. Talked about the drama and whatever. Um, as my hey, check this out, there is an ad that came out called This Is Eve. This is back in like 2014, so some of you may have already seen it, but it is like a really beautiful ad that actually made my heart pumping and my emotions flowing watching it today, earlier today. It's like a, um, uh, the ad actually contains like real audio of like player, like voice chat as they're like going through like these really intense moments while playing the game and hearing all of the like the drama and the emotion and the the craziness that goes on. And of course they overlay that with like the really cool like space battle footage and stuff. Really, really, really well uh, constructed uh, ad that sort of captures the spirit of like the best moments of playing that game. So I say, I say check that out as a good example as an ad and maybe, uh, maybe it'll convince you to try the game out because that's what it did for my, uh, my court mate who was talking about it earlier today. That's, that's what got him into the game originally, which is pretty funny. Nice. Yeah, so it's This Is Eve. Find it on YouTube. Cool. All right, we spent a lot of time talking about Star Wars, but we didn't talk much about Star Trek. Oh, yeah, we were supposed to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll recommend a Star Trek-related thing, which is a YouTube series called Trek Watch, uh, where uh, it's just a YouTube channel where this guy just goes through every episode of, of The Next Generation and, and reviews all of them in a very funny, goofy way. Um, and spoiler alert, I've tried to watch the first season of TNG, and it's a real mixed bag. <laughs> <laughs> so the reviews of it are quite funny. Um, this guy's also known as Danimal Cannon, who also is a really great musician. Is on a lot of cool game soundtracks. I think. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah he plays. He makes like chip, chippy music, and uh, his music appeared on the game that I like called Just Shapes and Beats. Yep, right. That's true. Yeah, yeah. and there's a new game. I think it's called Soundfall. That's like a really cool like rhythm game slash looter something. I don't know. It's a, it's a really interesting game. I haven't played it yet. Maybe I'll recommend it some other time. He has uh, some music in it too. So sweet. Yeah, check all that stuff out. All right, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Radhesian, also SoundCloud.com/slash/Radhesian and Adhesion.bandcap.com. Where can people find you guys? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at the Brendo. I'm also on Twitter at Heckbringer. Uh, and you can find uh, all of us on Team Radmars. We are on Twitter at Team Radmars, and we're also. Uh, can be found at radmars.com and radmars.itch.io. And this episode was edited by Andrew Ford, and the music in this episode was also by Andrew Ford. Good job, Andrew Ford.
Thank you. Amount of many talents. Yep. And hosting and contributing something. It was hosted by you, basically, wasn't it? Just a little bit. <laughs> you got to do the intro and the outro. Go. Oh, I don't know what the outro is. The outro is always so weird. I hate the outro. You just thank, <laughs> thank people. Thank you for... That we did. We solved Star Wars. Thanks, to everybody. Thanks, to everybody, for listening to being here. Yeah, we're done. Hey. <laughs> Bam. Nailed it. Hooray. We did it. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye-bye.